0: Once again to ewtn's bookmark i'm Doug not your host our special guest author friend of the network marlene watkins her book everyday miracles through our lady of lords 20 experiences along the way to the grotto proudly published by ewtn publishing and of course available through our ewtn religious catalog ewtnrc.com for all things catholic it's great to see you, Marlene. Good to see you too. Uh, and obviously, since uh, you were first here with Mother Angelica, what, about uh, in 05 and around yeah, that time? It
1: was, it was, yeah, 30 pounds ago at least. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all, all those years, and you've been on multiple other shows here. You've yeah. Jim and Joy and uh, yeah. Women of Grace, and of course, you were on with Father Mitch yeah. uh, back in uh, early February yes. uh, of this year as well. And we're excited because of this book, Everyday Miracles lords what what's your connection with lords
1: well for me it's in the book but in the in the very beginning my best friend had her business card plucked from a fishbowl and she won two tickets anywhere in europe and she chose lords and um, I said to her, oh I, I love that You
0: wanted to place. go to Fatima,
1: didn't you? <laughs> it's a little place with the three little children and of course that's Fatima, it's the same lady, different dress but different <laughs> century, different message. So she chose that because I wasn't well and hadn't been well and so um, I really didn't know that much about it and I think a lot of us American Catholics are not as familiar with all the apparitions that take place in Europe and all of them throughout the centuries of time. It's not as familiar to us so I think that was pretty typical. So now to be writing a book about Lords that shows how much God's worked on me in 20 some years.
0: Now, you work you work with an organization that's tied in directly with Lords, right?
1: Right. So, Our Lady of Lords Hospitality North American Volunteers. So, that is um, a public association of the Christian faithful. So, that means it's it's part of the church under the authority of a bishop. And there are 240 Lords hospitalities in Europe, but there were none outside of Europe until we were founded. So, in that grace of uh, bringing the very sick to Lourdes and we bring people on ventilators and Mm -hmm. kidney dialysis, um, people who are profoundly ill or disabled, quadriplegia, and we have medical teams Mm -hmm. who volunteer and and lay people like me who come and make it possible for them to make that pilgrimage. So, and we also bring young adults, volunteers. We've had almost a thousand, 900 and some Franciscan students Mm -hmm. have come with us to serve the sanctuary and welcome the sick from around the world as well as the nursing students who come to care for the sick that come with us from the United States and beyond. And so we didn't really know anything about right. that. I certainly knew nothing about that when I went to Lourdes.
0: Right. And our friars have been involved in some of yes, that over have. the years, so right? Yes, they have. So Father
1: Joseph has come with us. Father John Paul has been many times. Father um, Father Dominic. Mm-hmm. We've had some of the friars and um, some extraordinary experiences with the sisters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Right. So in, in the acknowledgments in the beginning, uh, you say Saint Bernadette advised to leave the room before being thanked. But each of the amazing people you mentioned here uh, for prayer support. What did you? What did you? Why did you stick in about her comment about leaving the r- room before being thanked?
1: Well, it doesn't mean not to be thanked, but she was very humble, and she would just leave before someone would thank her. And I knew the people that made this book possible would not want their name in the book. They wouldn't want to be acknowledged for their contribution and what they did. But right. it would just be impossible not to. Now, this acknowledge is your first them. book. Yes. So you had
0: an author wrangler? What's an author wrangler?
1: (laughs) You know, there's no (laughs) translation for that in French. So she's the one who won the tickets that went over. So just trying to, you know, it's just extraordinary that the book even came about because it took a long series of different things to happen. um, But to try to, during the travel and all the things that are happening, to try to actually write these stories was, you know, quite a quite hard to wrangle me together. Nobody would want that job, but she was stuck with it. (laughs)
0: Now you talk about a couple of different, you talk about everyday miracles and you also talk about techy miracles. What's the difference?
1: Yes. Well, you know, I think we today look at a lot of the technology that happens. So when we're in schools sharing the message of lords, there's a difference between what can be done, you know, special effects or magic those are not the same thing as miracles. or So I think we have to look at what is a miracle. It, it's something that God does. It's beyond mm-hmm. man. It's something we are not capable of doing. And so I think we have to separate those things out. And then there's the technical miracles in the church that go through the exhaustive Lambertini criteria. Um, it's a research where they really qualify that this really can't be explained by science. And then the bishop, not the medical teams, say, you know, the medical director of Lords doesn't say this is a miracle. He said that word wasn't taught to him in medical school. So there's a difference between a miracle in the Catholic Church that a bishop proclaims, meaning God intervened and made this possible, either a healing of usually physical of blindness or um, a paralysis or someone who's terminally ill who experiences a miracle and is cured. Um, if it's beyond science, it's, it, it's proven to be such then it's the bishop where the person comes from that usually proclaims it and says this is God who intervened. You
0: know, it's about seventy that have been named that so way? So in
1: Lourdes there are seventy that have been named who have interceded at Lourdes that they have had their cure proclaimed in Lourdes as an inexplicable cure. Then their bishops went on to call them officially a miracle in the Catholic Church. But there were over seven thousand two hundred Files there of people with inexplicable jurors. And often a bishop mm-hmm. doesn't come forward to do that, or there can be different technical reasons. It doesn't mean that a miracle didn't happen, it's just not publicly proclaimed.
0: Yeah. And, a, and the church wants to be very, very careful about how these very things Very
1: prudent. You know, I think the medical director at Lourdes does a wonderful job with that, and his predecessors, that they want to be really certain. So their scrutiny is scientific, and the team there is not all Catholic. Yeah yes stamp, Uh, they're of different faith and no faith at all, and they're really scrutinizing you know, he says something, it's, it's in the book, that he's an unusual doctor. Mm-hmm. Usually you go to the doctor when you're sick, people come to him when they're cured. <laughs> so then he has to prove that they were sick. And that's that's a challenge because there's the HIPAA laws here, for example. We destroy oh, records. I never thought of that. Right. Yeah. Right, you know, yeah. generally speaking, after right. seven years, our records are destroyed here. So it's usually a 10-year process mm-hmm. to go through evaluation at the medical bureau. and. Um, lots of times the records aren't always available that's one chapter in the book that discusses that that someone through ten years cured of Lou Gehrig's disease and you know what about that process and ultimately the doctors refer to a significant test but the test itself was never in the records that they could find and it's old it, you know at this point so um, but it doesn't mean she didn't experience the grace and I think it's the beauty of what the medical director says is that he doesn't doubt that there's a grace but it has to really pass that. It's called the Lambertini criteria. It's what they use for the canonization process. Okay. So it has to be a serious disease that has to be sudden instantaneous that couldn't have been a treatment that could have right. caused it. It has to last long. Right, which, Yes, like so okay. yeah, it's a pretty you You say only
0: an infinite God can perform miracles. We limited human beings cannot. God performs miracles for our salvation so that we will know He is who is as Father John Paul Mary Zeller, our guy, <laughs> uh, reminds us, God is God and we are just us. Yeah. Now, do you get a lot of people uh, you know, contacting you about their own personal miracles?
1: I would, sometimes, yes. Mm-hmm. I would think there would be more, but I think for a lot of people, it's their own private experience. Mm-hmm. They don't feel compelled to come forward um, or they don't know that they can go forward and be considered. Uh, in lords that so we do hear a lot of these stories we do meet people sometimes mm-hmm. um, but uh, not as many as you would think because i think it's their own um, private gift of grace
0: right that's interesting uh, it's also you say unofficial supposed proposed or believed works of god may still be called miracles miraculous or miracles but should not be confused with the official pronouncements as you talked about by the medical Bureau, you say along our way, we encounter in the sun your many trips that you take every year, many miraculous Lordsian events. Well, what would be an example of that?
1: Well, you know, sometimes there's something we call a backdoor miracle where, um, in, for someone preparing to come with us, discovers that they're sick and they get the care they needed. If they weren't preparing to make an international travel, they mm-hmm. maybe wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. other things that come about that are very Lords like, mm-hmm. things that uh, that intercede and you just know they've got the fingerprints of Our Lady all over them. Uh, So they're kind of these discrete um, God instances and they happen so frequently, Mm -hmm. you know they can't just be a coincidence. Right.
0: You have the quote here, I'm not made to make you believe but to say it to you. This was Bernadette and you say her accurate telling of the apparitions was never embellished. Bernadette simply told it as it was and we should try to do the same. A sister instructed, it's a beautiful handiwork of God, don't try to improve upon it as if we could.
1: Yeah, I love that um, one of the sisters of Christian Instruction of Charity Navarre, a a, a lovely sister, and she described it as Bernadette embroidered beautifully. Mm -hmm. Because she had asthma and she was sickly after um, the cholera outbreak there, she had to sit a lot, so when she could hold the rope when the girls jumped, but she couldn't jump herself, she would do this beautiful embroidery. And she said, look at Bernadette's embroidery, it doesn't have any holes, because she didn't have to take back something that she added or embellished. Or So it was just a beautiful expression of, Bernadette was a really good secretary for Our Lady.
0: Now, you, in the introduction to Lourdes, you kind of lay it out so people get a better idea of, about what Lourdes is like. I thought this was an interesting... There are no parades in Lourdes, but there are two holy processions each day. What's mm-hmm. the difference?
1: Well, a parade is sort of a, um, its it can be joyful, it can it can be commemorative, but it's like, look at this that we're celebrating and doing, whereas a procession is we're proceeding somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of the processions at Lourdes is there's a the Eucharistic procession at five o'clock every day in the season, and that runs from the end of March or Holy Week all the way through to November 1st. And for me, I'd never seen a Eucharistic procession under mm-hmm. the canopy and the trumpets blare and there's incense, and it was just... You know, our Lord is coming, and that's one of the chapters in the book. There is actually a woman who experiences that right. um, when she's in a coma, right. and so that's a, we're proceeding somewhere. Both of the processions, the Rosary procession at night, goes to the doors of the church facing the tabernacle, and the Eucharistic procession brings us to the church for adoration. So it's proceeding somewhere, and all of us are going somewhere, and like. None of us are getting out of this alive, right. so where are we going and how are we getting there? This procession helps us um, to to be cognizant of that, to be aware.
0: Is that why you say you think Lourdes is as relevant today as ever?
1: Yes. Because I think it's, you know, if you enter into the sanctuary, and I know you've been there, and we're grateful to all that EWDN does to share the grace of lords with us and around the world, but um, when you enter in, there's not a big statue of Mary in the gate. It's Jesus Christ on the cross. And as you come inside, you then go around past the beautiful basilica or stop, and you come to the grotto where she appeared. So it's a Christocentric shrine. Right. It's Christi- really... Eucharistic, yes, you talk about absolutely. it. absolutely, right. and I think that... Um, you know, Bernadette, after the first apparition, she makes her first confession. Before the last apparition, she makes her Holy Communion. It draws us into the sacraments, and it, and it does it in a very beautiful and simple way, not complicated.
0: You say, Pilgrims claim they receive the grace they most need in the form of healing of mind, soul, or body, or in the gift of peace or faith. Not everyone is cured at Lourdes, but nobody departs empty-handed.
1: True. A lot of people come that are terminally ill, and they or very seriously sick, um, you know with a, an ongoing disease that doesn't have a, a you know a positive outcome or prognosis mm-hmm. so to speak or recovery and they say you know I came for one thing but that's not what I needed I got what I needed instead so what we want and what we need sort of like children um, God knows and you know everyone says they leave with the grace that they needed the most All right.
0: now you actually have something before you talk about the the, the chapters, and you have your own story, and then kind of 20, I think it's 20 others, mm-hmm. um, but you have a declaration at the beginning, the people are real and their stories are true in each chapter of this book. Why did you feel important to put that out?
1: Well, some people could say, well, they're stories. Just the same way we could say that about the Gospels, some people could think they're parables, but they're real. Jesus performed those miracles, the stories in the Gospels are true. And in the same way, these stories in this Mm -hmm. book are real people, and that's why their pictures are in there. And um, not their last name, but their picture of who they are and where they're from. These are their extraordinary experiences that I've had the privilege to witness. I know these people. And they're just so extraordinary and profound. But I think it's important people know this is happening now. The gospels weren't just two millennia ago for those people. They're real, and it's the same awesome God now that we have today, and miracles are still happening. We can try to explain them away. We can dismiss them, but um, but they're real. Right, they're true.
0: Chapter one, uh, forgiving Marlene. Greatest grace needed. It talks about agoraphobia slowly taking over. That's your life. Yes. Over a what? A two or three-year period.
1: It was about three years. About three years, I pretty much didn't leave my house. Um, it became uh, really isolated, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I I gardened everything I could in the backyard, and the fence was like my border. And pretty soon, i gardened everything. There was mm-hmm. nothing left. I, I really didn't venture outside, never alone, never alone, always right. with someone else. I mean, I, I didn't get my hair cut. I didn't go to the dentist. I, I didn't you know, do other things that you, you'd normally do. I say my sons suffered worse mm-hmm. and my husband and I, than, than I did, but it just became so difficult to go outside. Mm-hmm. I would become so panicked that one time I just couldn't figure out how to go home. I knew where I lived, but I was so panicked I couldn't get back home. Panic
0: attack. Yes,
1: and I had to go back. It took me about an hour to go back into the store. There weren't cell phones. Asked them to call my husband, and he came and got me. And you know, he's
0: your uh, handsome prince. My
1: handsome prince. And (laughs) and um, we just knew it was just too hard for me to go out. It was just too stressful. So eventually, you just stay in, and your world becomes very, very small.
0: Now you say, at, at the turn of the new century, a spunky nun in a cloister came into my family room through the television screen. Anybody we know?
1: It's your friend, <laughs> and mine, <laughs> and everyone's friend, Mother Angelica, yeah. What was the impact for? Well, all, it was huge, because lots of times, too, in stress, you can't sleep, you're, you know, distracted. So at nighttime, I'd turn on the TV, and there would be this nun, and reruns, I think, mm-hmm. probably not the live, but I think the reruns late mm-hmm. at night. and. Um, she would, you know, she just had such wit and she was so practical, a lot like Bernadette, just really, you know, they, they have a lot in common. And so, um, through her though, it, she would talk a lot about the Holy Father, John Paul II, mm-hmm. and I just felt compelled like I had to see him with my own eyes. And I would laugh because I thought, unless he's come into my living room, yeah. I'm not going to be seeing him because I, I just would never go, there were always crowds where everyone. I thought right, sure. I would never do that. And um, but this compulsion just wouldn't go away. But I would pray the Rosary with her and the sisters at night and um, watch her shows, and she really she was really instrumental in me, right. savoring right. my faith, knowing that that was what I needed.
0: You talk about when you you got to Lourdes, my friend and I were separated into different baths exactly as forewarned, nobody spoke English. Shaking uncontrollably, I was entrusted with a small statue of Our Lady of Lourdes. Now there's something about the shaking. Yes. What's special about you
1: that? You know, uh, two people have told me in reading the book that they now understand what happened to them with the shaking. It was years later when someone said to me, Mm -hmm. as I was helping in the volunteering in the Piscines, and there was a woman uncontrollably shaking, and it took two of us to help her, and a third to get her to just the steps of the bath, and it was full bodily shaking. And uh, another woman, a very experienced older woman, said to me, that's a grace about to happen. She's either gonna have a conversion or a healing. In all the thousands and thousands of women I've had the privilege to bathe there in Lourdes as a volunteer, I've only seen that twice and then she whispered to me when we give the statue that's not just to give her some consolation to hold on to it and focus but that's to signal to all of us be careful she's either in danger of falling or something about her is amiss I say for me it was a mess but Mm -hmm. so then I understood why they gave me the little statue and then I understood about the shaking.
0: You said, my fear and anxiety had inextricably washed off with the water. That day I realized that peace is not the absence of evil. Peace is a gift only Jesus Christ can give. That's right.
1: I, I always thought that peace meant there the devil wasn't around or evil wasn't there, but it really is... A gift that only Jesus Christ can give us. It's really a gift from God.
0: Now, you, you seem to have a great ability to get to Lord's on, on a Fulbright here on a freebie all the time. You, second <laughs> time did. you went, you went for free as well.
1: Yeah, the first time okay. her business card plucked out of a fishbowl. The second time there were two women who saw the profound change in me. My husband jokingly says that he took a broken wife to the airport. And by the way, there was a pool in my family. They, nobody believed I would ever actually leave the driveway. But I was going with my best friend. Mm-hmm and there were two seats in the plane. She was in one, I was in the other. And um, we were always together. I didn't know anybody in Europe. So I wasn't as, I was more afraid of people uh, approaching me here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to see the Pope. And so she picked Lords, mm-hmm. and that was one of the places that we went and it just had a profound mm-hmm. impact on me. I came home and my husband was, you know, said he's, he got a free upgrade at the airport. Right, a lot of husbands would right, like one, right. they pick up a new wife. But it had such a profound impact on me. I was, I didn't have that fear. I had, did not have that anxiety. I still don't like crowds, but I can tolerate them.
0: Right. Now, you went back, and in this particular one, uh, there's a very powerful story which gives some understanding of why you had this kind of post-traumatic stress syndrome of agoraphobia, right? In in which case, you kind of had a somewhat mystical experience. Why don't you explain?
1: Yeah. So when I returned the second time, there were two women I loved that they said, oh, you know, maybe they can get the same grace. They just, I believe that it can happen for anyone and everyone. And so again, somebody paid for my ticket to go with them. And um, because I'd been there before, so the three of us went over. And uh, again, I was, we were not all in the same bath. And um, that was really profound because I had been pulled from the queue, as they say, pulled out of the line to go and help trying to get us in there. The crowds were so great. It's like the the gospel, you know, trying to reach the hem of, of the robe. So of Christ. So we're um, I was at the end trying to ask someone that spoke the languages to interpret for me because they didn't speak English. And I said, Please forgive me for the errors I made and and thank you for the grace of, you know, allowing me to serve today. And um, they, they, they told me that they didn't work there. They were volunteers. I thought they were all employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they could have said to me, you know, you don't belong here. You don't have a letter from a priest saying you're trustworthy. You didn't go to training. You didn't go to this formation of the school. You don't. They could have said a lot of things to me. And it took me years to realize that they didn't. Instead, as tired as they must have been, it's the record number of women mm-hmm. bathed in the history of Lourdes, they said to me, did you get a bath? because I'd waited in line for 4 days. The were crowds were great. Mm-hmm. And I said, "No." And so they reopened this back that they were closing and they uh, stood me there at the bath and I was as I was standing there praying with my head down, I I had a list when I was waiting in line like Santa Claus. You know, God, I need this. My my husband needs that. My you know, my daughter-in-law, your children, your grand-. you just start naming all yeah. these people that have these needs and you're there asking for them as much as for yourself. And it's like ready for confession, you, all of a sudden you get in there and you can't think of a thing, right, you know, right. it's like <laughs> before that you have a big list. So I closed my eyes, I had my head down and I said, Oh Lord, I'm, I'm sorry you know what I need um, and I just can't recall anything. So whatever grace I'm in greatest need of is what I said. And as I pulled my head up and opened my eyes, there was a man standing in front of me and I'd only been in the baths twice but I saw that there was only women there right. I didn't see any men there and on the other side I knew that's where the men went so there's not supposed to be a man in there but I recognized this man immediately and he was standing about halfway down from the bath so maybe to the end of where um, your, your bureau is here mm-hmm. and um, and I recognized him because he had broken into the apartment where I was babysitting little children when I was only 13 And I had not seen him since, but I knew who he was right away. And I recognized him. He looked right at me. And then I felt this incredible, like a force just whooshing out of me, just flooding over him, that I, I wanted him to go to heaven. Like, I felt this, I was just in awe of this. Like, I think, you know, awesome is a word we say all the time that you know there's not even a french translation for it yeah yeah. we say it all the time but awe she knew what true awe was awe is holy it's a holy word Mm -hmm. and so um i saw this man standing there and i was in awe of this grace that was flooding him i was just in awe of it and so the the women were praying next to me as they do um and they walked me down the the steps and i i wasn't afraid of him anymore and i was just so just in awe that he would go to heaven, I just wanted him to go to heaven. And as we walked on, as I got close to him, he didn't say anything, but he just melted away, and I walked through where he was standing. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized afterward um, that must be what total forgiveness is. This, it has. I, I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, I've spoke to a priest about it right away. I spoke to my husband, but it, I was just in awe of it. And I, um, I came back out. And there's a series of prayers we prayed at the beginning of that volunteer service, and uh, I knelt down and kissed the floor like Bernadette kissed the grotto, and I started to pray and I felt uh, compelled. I just said, "I promised the Mother of God I would come back with ten good, holy American Catholic women." Okay. I don't know why ten. I didn't pay for the first ticket, <laughs> so I don't know why I thought I would come back. It wasn't working, and um, just as my lips touched the floor, I felt another whoosh, but this one was like <sighs> into me like a. <sighs> Like blown into mm-hmm. my uh, the center of me that um, to make that promise and that's really the inspiration of the beginning of Lord's Volunteers was there was a, a grace given to me to make that promise and we did come back oh. so for me that was that was really pr- a profound it was a life changing moment for me and I didn't walk around harboring um, a, a hatred every day it had been years it had been thir- you know more mm. than thirty years so I. I just realized that was a grace i needed and i never knew right. i did
0: but our lord knew that yes so just before we go because there's 20 different stories in here how yes. did you decide on these particular 20.
1: well they're all like facets in a gem you know it's like you don't have a favorite child i mean they're they're each unique and each of these stories is about a different grace that was needed a different healing some are physical they um there's just every kind of aspect that you would imagine and as we sit down to write one chapter I would, I would think, oh, maybe I'll do this next. Well, I would sit down and write the next one, and I would know what it would be. So it was a grace, and um, all 20 of the people mm-hmm. agreed. They're very personal, private, intimate stories for some people. They're about sensitive subjects, mm-hmm. um, but there's something in that book for everyone because each one of those people is there to let other people know that they can be healed, too, just like them.
0: Absolutely. And we appreciate you stopping by and writing the book, Marlene Watkins. Thank you. Great to see you again. so much. Of course, everyday miracles through our Lady of Lords, 20 Experiences Along the Way to the Grotto. It's a wonderful book. EWTN Publishing is proudly publishing it, making it available through our EWTN religious catalog, EWTNRC.com, place for all things Catholic and for hope. I'm Doug Keck. Join us next time right here on Bookmark.